We are in the middle of a series, our Christmas series, called Making Peace, How to Navigate Your Most Challenging Relationships. Well, why would we choose to do a relationship series at Christmas? Well, primarily because, for whatever reason, the holidays, okay, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, tends to kind of highlight and put a spotlight, if you will, on relationships. Matter of fact, it's one of the primary reasons. I mean, we, we, we try to focus you as to the reason for Christmas, but let's be honest, one of the reasons we enjoy Christmas and that what brings joy in Christmas is the connectivity with family and friends and loved ones, right? That's part of the joy. Guys, it's also part of the reason that people struggle at Christmas because of lost relationships, because of lost family members, because of lost loved ones and friends, right? So there's, you, you know, there's such a big part of relationships when it comes to this, uh, this season, this holiday. We called it making peace because we want to talk about our responsibility as followers of Christ in terms of what does that look like in our relationships. And peace is a big deal. Peace is a part of the, you know, the heralding, if you will, on on that silent night uh, when Jesus was born. That's what they said when the angels came up. And you can see this in Luke. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with him, with him, uh, to those with him God is pleased. I don't think that's right. Anyway. You, you might have remembered the uh, Linus one, right? To, to, to uh, glory God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right? This is the idea that God came to bring peace. Donnie, Pastor Donnie talked about it a couple weeks ago about being peacemakers, and we're continuing the series with a focus on what does that mean? What does that mean for you and for me in terms of making peace? God came to bring peace. Now, we celebrate Advent. You know, usually it's a 30-day window, you know, a calendar. Hopefully, if you're a part of our, our church and online, you've been using the, um, the Advent, uh, the uh, Family Ministry Advent Spiral, and you've been reading and, you know, doing the little marbles and, and kind of moving Mary and Joseph along. We've been doing that at our house. It's been great. And we usually do that in anticipation. That's part of what Advent means. It's waiting in anticipation uh, to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But you have to understand that for God's people... They were waiting generations upon generations upon generations for God to fulfill his promise, all right? And so Pastor Chris kicked us off last week. I'm going to give you a quick recap of why this was so important. Now, there was a problem. The problem in Genesis was sin. Sin entered the world, sin entered our, our domain, and, and, um, and it affected everything from that point forward in all creation. There was a problem. And there was a solution. God brought a solution of forgiveness. Now, he had a, a system in place for the Old Testament. It pointed to the ultimate solution to the problem, which was Jesus Christ, which would be what we celebrate in terms of Advent, right? The story of Christmas is all about Jesus coming to solve that with forgiveness. As the Roman says, it says, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. He did this when he made us right. Now, again, last week, Pastor Chris was focusing primarily on the idea of forgiveness and what, what really is common among all of us in terms of what, what unites us here in the room in terms of Christ followers. And that's this. Now, forgiveness is a primary spiritual discipline of all Christ followers. Like, it shouldn't just be known that Christians are forgiving people, right? Because I think that would be a fair thing to sort of say. 
but it needs to be something that's, that's known for all those who claim to follow Christ. Forgiveness, a state or an attitude of forgiveness, is a, is a primary spiritual discipline. And yet it's so much easier said than done. Right? So much easier said than done. Why? Because I can think of about 100 reasons you don't deserve forgiveness. Nod your head if you're with me. Right? I can, it doesn't take me long to come up with a lot of reasons on why you don't deserve to be forgiven. And again, we live in a culture, and we talked about this the last few months, that everything that you feel is right must be true, and there's nothing about forgiveness that feels right. It's counterintuitive. It's countercultural to have this state, this, this primary discipline, and a, and a state and an attitude of forgiveness because it feels wrong. It feels like it, we, we move instead to, to judgment, to condemning, to bitterness, to grudges, and just flat out unforgiveness. And then last week, when I was taking notes, here's the, one, here's the main note that I took last week. That offense is the gateway <laughs> to unforgiveness. Offense really opens this up. And let's just be honest, right now in our culture, everybody's offended about everything, all the time, for all sorts of reasons. And we did a whole series on this like two months ago. You know, offense is a big deal. We have got to deal with this in our culture. We have to deal with how we are called to handle and deal with offenses as Christians. And here's the passage I love from last week, Colossians 3. Since God chose you and me to be holy people he loves, we must close, our, close our, yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. I love the way Chris described that. It's like pre-decide, okay? Pre-decide that you're going to make allowance room for people to offend you, for you to be hurt, for you to be uh, misunderstood, for all those things to happen. Like, make allowance. You know it's going to happen, so make allowance for it. And forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Big picture. Remember the Lord forgave you. So what's the two words? Read them out loud. You must forgive others. Lord forgave you, you must forgive others. What's a primary spiritual discipline for believers? And last week, I can't get into all of it. Please go back and listen and watch it. He talked about weights and offenses that you can get picked up or you can put on. It's this phenomenal message. And so he shared a lot of that last week in the, in the prompt of what does that mean? And today I want to talk about breaking down some of the some of the answers to the questions that most of you who asked questions last week asked. I'm telling you, the sermon wasn't even done yet, and the questions were already coming in. I see them, by the way, okay? I see them. And here's what every question had in common. But what about fill in the blank, right? You're supposed to forgive. That's what we're called to do. He picked the weights up. He put the weights down. And as everyone was listening, it's like, yeah, that's great. But what about, right? What about, what about a family member who did this? What about this person who did this? Like, like, they don't even know what they did is wrong. They've not even asked forgiveness. They've never said they're sorry. What about this thing that she did? Like, like, what, you know, like how could I possibly forgive this person for doing this? It's unforgivable. What about this when, again, he, he hasn't said he's sorry. He, you know, if, I, if I, you know, I, keep, I keep forgiving, I keep forgiving, and they just do it again and over and over again, right? So, so I kept getting all these questions like, yeah, but what about, what about, what about? And listen, I, I want you to hear, I, I understand what you're asking. And that's part of the reason I didn't do a live Q&A this week is like, 
It's exactly what we're talking about today. The what about fill in the blank. But what about this? And I want to use a story. I want to use a story that doesn't get much airtime at Christmas. Okay, but it's but it's one of the mo- it's, to me it's one of the most beautiful parts of the Christmas story. But what about when you're engaged to a fiance? You're engaged, and your fiance shows up pregnant. Right? What about that? And she said God did it, and an angel showed up. Oh, I bet he was an angel. I bet he was. You know, everybody with me? You know, we, again, we like to rush to the silent night and the holy night and the drummer boy and the wise men. Like, we love to get to that part of the story. And trust me, we're going to get there Christmas Eve. We always do. But I love the human part of the story of Christmas. I love the relationships, you know, between Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph and, and some of the, the human relationships that bring about the story. And as we were looking at this, this series, I was like, what a beautiful picture of the complexity of forgiveness in Mary and Joseph's story, especially when you start to addressing, yeah, but what about when they do this? So I'm going to read those stories for you this morning, and we're going to look at the lens of forgiveness through Mary and Joseph. First, I'm going to start in Luke 1. If you want to turn to your, your Bibles, you can. Uh, I'm going to put it on the screen for those watching online. In the sixth month after Elizabeth had become pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. He was sent to a virgin. The girl was engaged to a man named Joseph. He came from the family line of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel greeted her and said, The Lord has blessed you in a special way. He is with you. Mary was actually very upset because of these words. She wondered what kind of a greeting this could be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. God is very pleased with you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will make him a king like his father David long ago. The Son of the Most High God will rule forever over his people. They are from the family line of Jacob. That kingdom will never end. How can this happen? Mary asked the angel. I am a virgin. Okay? Now, everybody just, again, you don't, don't rush past it. She's like, how? I don't think she was technically asking how, okay? But she's, she's, she's with a, you just said God was happy with me. I'm engaged. So how's that going to happen? Okay, I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come to you. The power of the Most High God will cover you. So the Holy One that is born will be called the Son of God. Your relative Elizabeth will have a child, even though she's old. People thought she, was, she could not have children, but she's been pregnant now for six months. That's because what God says will always come true. What a great sentence to memorize and remember. That's because what God says will always come true. I serve the Lord, Mary answered. May it happen to me. That was her way of just submitting her life in that response. May this happen to me, just as you said it would. Then the angel left her. Now, again, in this story, you have to understand from Luke's perspective, he's writing to the culture. 
He's helping them understand cultural nuances of the story. This teenage girl needs to be named because nobody would have known her. For all intents and purposes, Mary is a nobody. She's, she's a no one. She's just a teenage girl who's been engaged, who's been you know, uh, uh, arranged to be married to an older man named Joseph. Now, Joseph, we know, is in the line of David. So there's heritage there. There's, 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 a, there's, there's something very unique about him. And it falls in line with prophecy, which we'll get to in a minute. But the point is, you know, it's, it's Mary. It's, it's, a, it's a nowhere, it's a no, you know, it's a no one on the backside of nowhere being chosen by God. And even though she understood the repercussions of what this looked like, she still didn't understand what was going to happen. She had to walk through the tension and the chaos that was going to happen right then because she was engaged. And then the custom when you were engaged to be married, it was before the marriage celebration, okay? For however long, there's arguments about how long it is. Sometimes it's a year in some comments and some commentaries. But the point is, is that from the engagement to the wedding celebration, you were, you were claimed to each other. There was the promise to each other, but you couldn't, you know, that you couldn't be together in that way yet. And again, guys, this is before in vitro and all that. Like, there's only one way this happens. Nod your head if you're with me, right? There's young ones in the room, okay? There's only one way this happens, and they both knew how it happens, don't skip past the, the struggle here. Matthew gives us, gives you Joseph's perspective and something unique that happens with him. This is Matthew 1, 18. He says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. We got that so far. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, was faithful to the law. Just want you to pause here. Uh, think of, think of, if you will, this is um, this is a man with a heritage that is in line with King David. So there was there was probably some pride in his heritage and his family. But at the end of the day, he was faithful to the law, meaning that he was a devout follower. Everybody with me? Um, we have a term around here called creasters. You know what I'm talking about? Those people who show up. At Christmas and Easter, they won't know to sign up for Christmas, but you know what I'm saying? You ever heard that before? Creaster? Never heard that before? Okay. That's a, that's a, maybe that's a church language. I don't know. I've heard it before. They're called creasters. They only show up those two times, and they, they make it look like they've been here forever. Okay. So they're creasters. Or you've heard, this is, a, this is fairly common in our culture, there's people who were born and raised Catholic, right? They were born and raised Catholic, but they're not very good Catholics. They're not even really practicing Catholics. Y'all with me? Okay. So, so I want you to look at that as one end of the spectrum. And I want you to think of Joseph as the other. He was faithful to the law. He was a devout follower of this religion. He was a devout Jew. Devout. Probably because of his heritage, but just because of who he was. But he did not want to put her to shame in public. Why? Because according to the law, according to his rights, for her to betray him, for, this, for the evidence of this pregnancy to, to mar his name and his image, not only her, but him, he had the right to stone her, but he did. He, that was his right to publicly shame and discipline and put her out and stone her and ruin her forever. 
And as a matter of fact, that would have been an expected thing in the culture so that he could have maintained his faithfulness to the law. But he didn't want to do that. And I want you to see the process here for, jo- for Joseph. He didn't want to publicly sh- put her to shame in public, so he planned to divorce her quietly. He made a different choice. He planned to, to, to do this in secret. He planned to divorce her quietly, even though it would be a reflection on her and for him for the rest of their lives. And it says, but as Joseph was thinking about this, because this is an internal thing for Joseph, as he's been processing what to do, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew always brings back the the history, you know, the prophecies, as this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. This is from Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. Don't skip through the story. Again, you've got you to gotta remember there's, a, there's two people involved here. But what's unique about this story for me, from my perspective, is the way Joseph chooses to handle this. And this is going to help us understand better the, the, the we need to forgive and all the things that rise up in you. Yeah, but what about this? But what about that? Because there's complexity to what forgiveness looks like. There's what we're called to, and there's what, we, there's what we control, and then there's what we don't necessarily control. And we're going to see this through Joseph's story. Forgiveness, given. I want you to think about this word, resolution. There's a resolution to the problem, right? Jesus came to, to resolve the problem of sin. Okay, there's a resolution. When forgiveness is given, when it's extended... It brings about a resolution, and it begins to make peace happen. Joseph made the decision. He made the decision. He did not want to do what was he had the right to do. He, he did not want to publicly shame her. He did not want her to, to, to be marred. He didn't want her to be disciplined that way. He's like, he chose. I want you to see this. He chose a path of grace and forgiveness for Mary. He chose that. Before anything was explained to him, okay, before, before he was, because again, he would not have believed, what would it take for you to believe this, right? Probably more than an angel in a dream, okay? So like, like before it was explained to him, before it was clear, he'd already made the choice. He'd already resolved within himself not to use his rights, not to do what he had the right to do, but to extend grace and love and forgiveness to Mary. And as he was planning this, and as he was thinking this, you have to understand, that's something that happens first within you. Making peace starts within you. The decision to forgive, as Chris said last week about laying down those weights, the decision to forgive starts with you. And you are able Okay, again, we talked about this over the last several weeks. You know, 
we do not, we can't control what other people do. We can't control how other people feel. We can't control other people's hearts. We can't control other people, the outcome of other people. We cannot control it. All we, all we have is self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit, is self-control. And so it starts within us to choose to forgive, to resolve to, to, resolve to forgive and to, and to release someone from the debt they owe. To release them. To say, you don't owe me anymore. So therefore, forgiveness isn't about what they did. Forgiveness isn't about what they own up to. Forgiveness doesn't start with them apologizing. Forgiveness starts with you resolving the conflict that's within you. That's where forgiveness starts. It starts in you to resolve the conflict that you have, the offense that you've taken, the offense that has been placed on you, the offense that you've picked up. It starts with you. And you are the only one who can make the choice to forgive, to give it away, to extend it, to, to, to release the debt, and to say, you don't owe me. And guess what, guys? You know what that means? You don't owe me an explanation, and you do not owe me an apology. And the thing rises up in us. Whoa, 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 whoa. No. Right? There's something that rises up in us and is like, no, 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 Matt, you don't understand. That, that's not right. That doesn't feel right at all. That gives them a pass. That makes them think that they were, they were right when they were clearly wrong. That gives them the freedom to do it again. Man, I can't, that can't be the case. You can't truly release that, 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 that debt fully to the point where they don't have to apologize to you. How in the world does that work? Well, I'm just letting you know again, what is it that you control and what do you have the decision to do? You have the decision to resolve the conflict in you and to extend forgiveness and to give it away. Okay, that's where it starts. That's where forgiveness starts for you and for me. Now, you have to understand, no one gets a free pass. We're all going to be held accountable to God one day. Nod your head if you agree with me. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's with me. You're all good theologians. No one gets a free pass. God didn't put the, the weight on you or I to judge others and to condemn them. That was his job. He already said, that's my job. You don't get to do that. I get to do that. Okay? So you have to kind of have this. If you want to do what God says to do, you have to have God's perspective and understand what God means when he says it. We make allowances for each other's faults. We forgive everyone who offends us because he forgave us. Okay? We make the point to resolve that, to resolve the conflict of, of they've offended me, they've hurt me, they've abused me, they've, they've betrayed me. And the conflict is here, and I can resolve that conflict. I can make peace within me by releasing that debt and extending forgiveness to them. So where does it start? Let's start with something easy. Okay, let's start with something easy. I want all of you to forgive that person or those people that you've unfriended this year. Okay? Like seriously. Could I ask for a lower bar? Okay? Okay, you, you, you snoozed them once because you didn't like the rhetoric about the COVID or about the mask or about the policies or the politics and, you know, <clears throat> you didn't like it. Then they, then they posted something. Then they said something that offended you. Then they said something that offended somebody else, but you felt offended for them, so you took the offense on their behalf, okay? And you've canceled them. You've, you've, you've cut them out, right? Like, 
What would it take for you to just start there? Forgive them. Okay? Guess what? It doesn't require them to say anything. It doesn't, it doesn't require a group hug. It doesn't require them to acknowledge that they've offended you. It's your problem. Everybody with me? Okay, you've been offended. You've been hurt. You've been, you're upset. You've cast the judgment. And when you cast that judgment, you made them owe you a debt. Okay? And, whether, and listen, I know you would never admit this because it reveals how self-absorbed and narcissistic you really are. Okay? That because you've judged them, they owe you. But that's true. So what would it look like to just start there? Just forgive them. Give that forgiveness away. Resolve the bitterness and the anger and the grudge and the condemning and the judging that you've got going on in here. It's bigger than that. I can tell you truthfully in terms of journey, in terms of our partners, I've seen partners at our church forgive cheating spouses, abusive parents, betrayals from leaders and close friends. And I've seen them make those choices to forgive long before anyone on the other side acknowledged that they were wrong. Long before anything was restored or reconciled because they resolved to make peace and to extend forgiveness because God has forgiven them. It can happen, and it starts with you. And I get it, I get it. Yeah, but Matt, what about... I get it. Okay, I just want you to hear me. I'll tell you a personal story in a minute. But I'm just telling you, I get that it rises up. It constantly rises up because it doesn't feel right. There's a picture of forgiveness here that that we, the fuller part of it that we need to understand. Jesus sets the example for us. Did you know that Jesus came to forgive everyone? That he paid the price for sin? Did you also know that not everyone receives it? Not everyone fully receives and experiences it. Here's what it says, John, when John talks about, you know, with John's poetic way of talking about Jesus coming to earth, he talks about the light coming and walking among us and he he took on flesh and he says, the one who, this is talking about Jesus, the one who is the true light and gives light to everyone who is now coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who, say the two words out loud, to all who believed him and to all who, say the other two words, he gave them the right to become children of God. The full part of this idea of forgiveness not only comes in the resolution, okay, solving the problem, you know, making peace starting within us in terms of choosing to forgive. There's forgiveness that's given, but there's also forgiveness that's received, And forgiveness that's given, joined with forgiveness that's received, brings about reconciliation, okay? Reconciliation. It's got to be both. 
And especially when it comes to relationships, hear these words. When it comes to relationships, there has to be the resolved part of you that's making peace to to free the debt, to let go of the debt, and to say, you don't owe me. But in order to see restored relationships, there has to be an acknowledgement of the wrong. There has to be repentance. There has to be, uh, and I'm sorry, there does in order to see reconciliation. Okay, that's, if you would, that's a fuller picture of, the, of this idea of forgiveness. So when someone says, yeah, but what, Matt, what about this? All I can say is, look, you can resolve to make peace. You cannot guarantee reconciliation. God has to step in to see reconciliation. See, just remember the story. There's nothing in, there was nothing in Mary's power to do to convince Joseph that she was telling the truth. And even though Joseph was going to forgive, even though Joseph was going to do this, that forgiveness was going to be given, but there was not going to be reconciliation because he didn't understand. He still thought there was an offense. He still thought there was a betrayal. He still was there. And so God had to intervene. God had to show up in a dream and say, that's not the way it is. That's not how it works. Don't worry about that. Your relationship can be restored and reconciled. And it was beautiful picture. Guys, God is the only one who can change hearts. He's the only one who can bring understanding. He's the only one who can help reconcile. Okay, just just remember that. Again, I've told you stories in terms of partners and, and people at Journey. And I've seen marriages after infidelity, after adultery. I've seen those marriages heal I've seen relationships not only reconciled, but eventually restored and actually go above and beyond and be greater than before. I've also seen divorced people who have been divorced for years at an unforgiveness stalemate. Y'all know what I'm talking about? An unforgiveness stalemate where you're both unforgiving? You go first? No, you go first. I've seen people come to a place to finally resolve to forgive. After years of conflict and a divorce, finally resolved to forgive and to watch a relationship be reconciled. Now understand, they didn't get remarried. Does that make sense? Didn't, they didn't get remarried. We're not talking about that kind of restoration. There's complexity to this. And yet that complexity starts with you, starts with your ability to resolve, to forgive, to let go, to, to, to release the debt. And to let God do what only God can do in praying for them, in praying for the situation, in praying for your family members, in praying for your friends, that there would be a path to reconciliation, that there would be an acknowledgement, that there would be an opportunity to come together and to see the fullness of both resolution and reconciliation happen and forgiveness. But it takes, I'm telling you, it takes forgiveness given and forgiveness received for it to happen, and it is the picture of the gospel. Again, if you go back to John 3.16, you know, many of you guys know uh, John 3.16. This is how God loved the world, the world, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone, this is how we like to read it, so that everyone will not perish but have eternal life. That's what like, people like to read, right? Well, God forgave everybody. He died for all sin. He resolved the problem. Right? You've heard Pastor Don say this several times. Jesus was the solution to the problem in Genesis. Right? You've, you've, you've heard that. 
But, but you have to remember, there's a reconciliation because we're not about religion. We're about relationship. Jesus doesn't care about the religious side of you. He cares about the relationship with you. So the words are actually, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There's reconciliation that must happen. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact that God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. You think of this as the heart of the gospel. Maybe I was raised in a Baptist church, so maybe it was, you know, uh, maybe it was, uh, I'm trying to say, the Romans Road that you learned in terms of the breakdown of the gospel or the bridge. Uh, I learned the simple ABCs, right? The ABCs of the gospel is that you have to admit that you're a sinner. Okay, you have to admit it. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and is your Savior. And then C, you have to confess your sin and confess that he is Lord. ABC. See, you have to understand Jesus came to forgive. He resolved it. He resolved, he resolved the sin problem. But to have reconciliation requires us to acknowledge and admit that we are sinners. It, it's a part of this. Is everybody with me? And that's the picture that we've been given. And that's the picture we have to understand in the context of our relationships, that there is forgiveness given. You have a choice about that. But there's also forgiveness received. And we should be about not only the resolution to extend forgiveness, because we have control over that. We should always be open and always praying for God to do the work to reconcile, to see the fullness of forgiveness come, come about, to have reconciled relationships. That's what we're called to be about. Why? Because that's the message of the gospel. We use this uh, set of verses for uh, our vision as a church. Uh, earlier in 2 Corinthians 5, I think it's 12. But in verse 19, it says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead to others, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Bottom line for today, I'll give you a brief uh, personal testimony. Um, Christians should be the model of resolved and, when possible, reconciled relationships. We should be. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be the exception that someone does this, that Christians, you know, forgive and release that debt and don't take offenses and don't hold grudges and don't spend their time judging others. That shouldn't be normal. That should be, you know, and the exception to the rule is those who don't know. Christians, Christ followers, we are the models, we are the examples of that resolution. You know what, God forgave me, I have no choice but to forgive you. And when possible, when God makes the way, when, when, when both hearts, when he does a change in people's hearts and there is the possibility of reconciliation, we should be about that. We should be for that in our own hearts and in our own lives and in our own relationships. I'll tell you truthfully, 
I woke up last night um, just struggling because, uh, I know why, because God woke me up. Um, and I was struggling because as I was preparing for this message, it really hadn't dawned on me. And it may be a been a while since I shared it, but quite honestly, you know, I had an experience in my life uh, with a leader, with a pastor, uh, where I experienced incredible betrayal. Okay, we're talking about like, like incredibly painful betrayal from a pastor, somebody I put trust in, somebody I had uh, earned some trust with and put trust in. And that betrayal was real, and it was, it was heartbreaking in a season in our life. Um, we were hung out to dry. We were the scapegoats for other issues, and, and it was hard because there was no reconciliation, right? There was no apology. There was no admitting of wrong. There's one, none of those things. Um, it just sat with me, and I was bitter, and I was angry, and I was struggling, okay? It was all the reason I needed to never, hear the words, never go work for a church again. I already grew up never wanting to work for the church at all. The church was the worst place to work. All my friends worked for churches, and it was just awful. So it was enough, it was enough of a reason for me to be done. God, I surrendered. I did what I was supposed to do. All y'all's people are stupid, so I'm gone. It was enough reason. And yet God continued to work on me and continued to work on me. And I'm just letting you know, I'm, just t- I'm confessing this to you because I feel like someone needs to hear this. There was no reconciliation. There has yet to be reconciliation. But there was eventually forgiveness. And it was a process. It was a huge, painful, Tracy would tell you, years, process of us letting it go, giving it to God, forgiving when we didn't feel like it was worth forgiving, letting it go, forgiving, 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 feeling remembering memories and then going, "Mm -mm, don't forgive you anymore. No. And then coming back and going, no, forgiving. Resolve to forgive. Resolve to... And and it took a long while for me to resolve the conflict in me until I eventually did. Now, I'll be honest. There was no no light switch moment. I share the story with just a few people. There was no light switch moment for me in terms of, yep, forgiven, done, never thought about it again. No, there wasn't. But a few years, a few years went by. And common friends that I had with, with, uh, with that pastor, we were with them one day and they said, oh, I don't know if you heard or not. And they shared that um, that pastor had had a health crisis, had something go wrong with their health. And in that moment, in that moment, I felt compassion. I felt compassion for him. I felt compassion for his family. And believe it or not, it was only in that moment that I realized, wow, I've really forgiven this person. I can promise you, there were times before that had I heard that, I would have been like, yes, justice. Y'all with me? Okay? Like King David, like, get my enemies, Lord, get them! But no, in that moment, after years and years of struggling to resolve, to forgive, and to let go of that pain, and to let go of that hurt, there was a time that I did get to realize, you know what? No, that's, God has freed me of that. I, I have given that away. So understand, if you're looking as reconciliation being the only way to forgiveness, you're going to deal with a lot of pain and conflict in your life. Making peace in the challenging relationships in your life starts within you. And it may take time, and it may be a process, but I want to encourage you. 
I want to be honest about what was real for me, and I want to encourage you that it can happen. You can resolve to let it go. You can resolve to making peace and forgiving, even when reconciliation doesn't happen. Will that be reconciled one day? Who knows? Does it need to be for forgiveness to be real? Does it need to be for forgiveness to really have happened? Next week, we're going to talk more about the bigger picture and the fullness of Jesus' life and story, about how he lived this out, how he lived it out as we finish up this Advent series. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for uh, just the way your word challenges us. God, thank you for waking me up and reminding me of my own uh, you know, failures in trying to work through this. I'm thankful, Lord, that eventually I did. I'm thankful that you were patient with me and continued to lead me into a path of, of health. God, I pray that everyone here today would, would just follow your prompting. Whatever it is that you were you know, spurring on in our hearts, Maybe it's forgiving a family member. Maybe it's forgiving people we've canceled and, and unfriended. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's people who don't even know we've held an offense against them. God, give us the, the, the strength and the faith, as Chris talked about last week, the faith to, to, to increase our faith to be able to forgive and lay it down, release the debt. God, for those much more difficult situations that are here and online and folks that are connected to our church, I'm praying, God, that you're doing a work now today. That even though they can resolve to forgive, God, that you would be um, just miraculous in your work to reconcile relationships. God, we long to be a people and a church that can model the resolution and the reconciliation of relationships through forgiveness. We know that's what you've called us to. We know that we can by your power and your strength alone. May we commit and may we choose to move and live in that direction, even when it feels wrong, even when it doesn't feel right. May we obey and do what you've called us to do. Because you've forgiven us, we will forgive others. In your name, Jesus. Amen.